0: profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. From a mindset perspective,
1: what I want you to realize is the client would be lucky to work with you. You start out as kind of a freelancer or a solo practice. You think, God, I really need to win this deal. I mean, yeah, they need my help, but
0: boy, do I need their money. Welcome to the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help you work less and make more. My name is Geraldine Carter. Would you just as soon rub your hand against the grain across a sheet of plywood and give yourself a handful of splinters than have a sales conversation? Avoiding sales leads directly to avoiding revenue, and the cost to your firm in the form of business left ungenerated could be enormous. The cost in your life, in the form of all the extra hours worked and piano recitals missed, is that much larger. My guest today is Liston Witherill, founder of Serve Don't Sell and creator of the Serve Don't Sell method. He works with expert service providers like designers, accountants, agency owners, consultants, and coaches because their services don't sell themselves. Today's conversation is about how to grow your business without you needing to be in every sales meeting. Liston, welcome to the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Before we get into the meat of this conversation, a slow pitch across the plate. You were in environmental science and consulting. How did you end up studying the neuroscience behind decision-making and sales?
1: Yeah. uh, Curiosity, I think, is kind of the common thread in my life. Um, So I'm always curious about why people do the things that they do. And a really interesting place to study that is in marketing and sales. Why do some ads work? Why do some ads just not work and they're a huge waste of money? Why do some people buy certain things but not buy other things? So, for instance, I love driving my old minivan. I love my minivan. It was very cheap. It's not cool. And when I go see my dentist and he talks to me about buying his $100,000 car, I always think, what hole are you filling in in your life? Like, why did you make that decision? But this doesn't matter to me at all. And yet, if you ask me to buy a phone or a computer, I'm always going to get the best one. I'll spend the most money I possibly can. So it's really interesting to think about why, why do we make these decisions? Why do we value things so differently? How do we arrive at these decisions? What influences or persuades us along the way? And so when I was in my job in the environmental science industry, I was tasked with getting people to buy our services and what was really interesting to me is it didn't seem that anybody at the partner track even knew <laughs> why our clients bought our services let alone why would they buy our services versus someone else's services if they're perfect substitutes to borrow an economics term so this was really interesting to me and this is this is what got me into this whole thing initially with digital marketing and Uh, much more as I did that, obviously I'm selling my services and then working with other clients, helping them sell their services. And it's just such an interesting summation and, and just gathering of all these different disciplines.
0: Okay. So there's a lot to unpack here because where we want to get to is a place that I think some CPAs maybe don't even conceive of yet, which is passing off sales to somebody else so that they can stop doing everything in their business. And yet where I think a lot of folks are is still not fully understanding the depth of why their clients buy from them. Yeah. So let's dig into that one. When a business owner comes to a CPA and says, hey, my books are a mess. Can you help? The CPA is likely to think, yep, we can take care of your books, we can clean it up, we can even do your taxes, but the business owner is probably thinking about a bunch of other things. So, what is the business owner really buying?
1: Well, we don't know until we ask. So, in that situation, if you dear listener were my client, I would say don't respond by saying yes, we can clean up your books. Respond by saying, why do you think your books are out of order? What's that doing to your business? How are you feeling that? What what is what else does that affect? in all of these cases, there's something else that we're buying. So I love to give the example of Roundup, um, the weed killer, right? So why do people buy Roundup? Well, on the surface to, to kill weeds, but why does anybody care about killing weeds in the first place? Well, generally there's a few reasons, but one of them is recognition. They want to take pride in their house and feel like, it's, you know, I'm someone, I'm fulfilling my identity. I'm someone who takes care of my house and there's no weeds. Maybe it's competition, right? I have the best, most awesome house on the block. Maybe it's affirmation from their neighbors who comment on it when they walk by. There's all these different reasons, right? All of this is baked into a $5 product. And similarly with whatever you're selling as a, as a CPA firm, right? Whether it's just bookkeeping or compliance or tax rebates or on and on and on. There's all these different service lines you can offer. Maybe it's business consulting. Your client is buying something else. And often it's certainty, um, which the flip side of that is reducing risk, right? To just set it in the opposite way. And so what risk are they trying to reduce? What clarity are they trying to get? Sometimes it's around hiring. This is a big driver for having a CPA firm, right? I go to them and say, my books are a mess. I feel like we're getting busy. I don't know if I can afford to hire anybody. Can you help me figure this this out, right? So I can know each quarter what, what my books should look like. How do I invest in sales and marketing? How much can I invest in my employees? So maybe the irony here is often when someone comes to a CPA firm, they're struggling with the same things that the CPA firm is struggling with internally. And one of the ways they get to solve it is by having the CPA firm giving them more clarity in their books. So that's where I would start is really understanding what is going on with this person before you get into the, you know, okay, we'll do your books. You know, if you went to the doctor and you said, you know, I'm having some chest pain. I want a triple bypass. (laughs) They wouldn't say, okay, lie down on the table. We'll get it started. (laughs) Right. They would say, why do you think you need a triple bypass? What kind of pain have you been experiencing? How long has this been going on? On and on and on. And as service providers, for some reason, we don't treat ourselves with that same level of acumen and expertise, but we have that. And so we want to start by really determining what's going on, um, which is what I call finding the pain, no pain, no change. So yeah, you can do the books. But if you just say, yes, we can do the books and say, here's the price. How are you different than bench.co or any other variety of CPA options out there that are direct substitutes for bookkeeping? That's not the way we want to approach this.
0: And certainly if you miss out on assessing the full extent of the pain, you're missing out on the problems that you can solve and the value that you can provide.
1: And charging premium pricing, which is what we all want to do.
0: Yes, so that you don't have to work so hard for the money that you're making. Exactly. So what else do you think are service providers, and in this case, accountants and CPAs, missing when it comes to the sales conversation?
1: Well, that's a big question. I think a lot, but I... One place that I try to focus with all of my advice is I think mindset is important, but it's very hard to give someone a new mindset. What I can give you is a set of behaviors that you can mechanically execute. So let me just touch on both of those. For mindset, I think the biggest thing that we're missing is, I hate using the dating analogy, but it is so apt, right? Because there's this like getting to know each other, period. And do I trust you? And are you someone who's going to do what you say you're going to do? which almost entirely comes through consistency and signals of trust. From a mindset perspective, what I want you to realize is the client would be lucky to work with you. So let's start there, right? So one thing that a lot of us do wrong, and I I know because I've been there, as you start out as kind of a freelancer or a solo practice, and you think, God, I really need to win this deal, yeah. <laughs> right? I have to- I like, need this business. Oh my goodness. I mean, yeah, they need my help, but boy, do I need their money. And starting with that mindset is a real mistake because you're, sell- you're sending signals of desperation to the other person, which will be translated subconsciously as an indication that maybe your firm's not that much in demand, or maybe you need this a little bit too much, Right. And so what I would say to you, and of course, one way to fix this is having more opportunity than you can service, and then you have no problem just being confident in every situation. But from a mindset perspective, what I would say is just internalize, and this is going to take months or even years, internalize the idea that your clients would be lucky, lucky to work with you. And if you don't actually believe that, I want you to ask yourself why. Maybe you aren't really delivering as much as you think you should be. Well, that's going to translate in the sales process. That's going to be a real problem, right? So asking yourself, what is it that you give to clients? Why would they be, be lucky to work with you? And then start building out some of those infrastructural um, advantages that would make you more confident in the process. Secondly, you asked, uh, I mentioned about behaviors, the one thing, if you do nothing else after you listen to this podcast, here's the one thing I would recommend that you do. Always start your meeting with an agenda and always end your meeting with next steps. And those always come with agreement. Here's what I mean by that. If let's say a, a new potential client reaches out and you're, you mentioned this, Geraldine, someone reaches out and says, can you do my books? Okay, great. I would say, My response to that would be, I don't know, but I'd love to have a conversation to see if there might be a fit here. Are you open next week? We book a meeting. We show up at the meeting. At the start of the meeting, we tell them, here's what I'm expecting is going to happen today. And for all accountants, it's probably going to be the same, right? Why'd you reach out? What's going on with your books? How's that affecting you? How soon are you looking to get started? about how much do you want to spend on this? Uh, Something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I would always close by saying, by the end of this conversation, my goal is for you to have enough information to decide if we should keep talking. Are you okay with that? They always say yes. hundred percent of the time they say yes. Now I have their permission to ask what they think at the end. Right. Right. So that's your agenda. And then at the end of the meeting, it's always like, I understood X, Y, and Z, right? Why, why are they looking for help with their books? Um, you're looking to get started by this date. I think I can help you. And then whatever your next step is, for me, it's always, our next step is to go put together a proposal with three different project options. Um, and if you wanted to get started, we could probably start within two weeks. Do you want to do that? Again, they're going to say yes or no. 99% of the time, it'll be Yes and then we go do that. The reason these two things are so important is because you can't do them if you don't know what your sales process is all about. Right. Right. So you're actually going to have to think about what does it look like for someone to become your client? And this may sound like a lot of work to some listeners, but I would just implore you to think about the last three to five clients you got. How did that work? And almost always, it's the same. They reach out to you over phone or email. They came in through a referral, most likely unless you're doing a lot of marketing. You respond, you have a meeting, you talk about whatever they're doing, you send them a proposal. Don't ever do that over email from now on. That's my other tip here. They think it over. Eventually, maybe they ask for changes X, Y, and Z. You send them a contract, they sign and you start. It's always the same, right? So what I want you to do just to recap is number one, remember you're a peer of this client. They would be lucky to work with you. Number two, always start your meeting by articulating what your agenda is, what you're going to cover, get their agreement on it. And at the end, tell them whatever comes next. And if you do those things, you're going to have so much more success in your process.
0: I love that. Um, Let's quickly, people are wondering, wait, if I don't send a proposal over email, how am I going to get it to them?
1: Yeah. So always present it live. And the reason for that is if, assuming you you want premium pricing, right? There's a lot more to it than just how you conduct yourself in the sales conversation. There's also, you know, in the pre-call before we started recording, you were mentioning positioning and niching down as one thing you recommend to your clients. Definitely. Right. So that's going to be super helpful. You know, I have this unified theory of business development, which you can find on my website. And I think you need a point of view or a worldview that sits above all of that. Like the sort of purpose, like, why are you doing this? What change do you want to see in the world? What's wrong? So when you introduced me, I said, expert services don't sell themselves. That's kind of my purpose, right? Like all of you, dear listeners are really great at what you do, but unless people know it, you're never going to kind of build the business that you want. Right. So that's, that's my purpose is I want to make a hundred million people, expert communicators. So all of that sits on top of it, but proposals, if not over email, what do I do? Always present them live. I like using slides. This isn't for everybody, but I prefer to use slides because if you're selling remotely, especially it engages more senses, right? They're seeing they're hearing it, may even be tactile. They can kind of click around um, or chat with you or whatever. But I like using slides. And the reason I say do it live is because you're going to have control over how you tell the story. Right. So big mistake a lot of people make when they're selling is they have that upfront conversation. Client tells you what's going on with them. You tell basically you're like, oh yeah, I could do all that. I can help you with that totally. Right? I'll write a proposal and send it. Well, the problem with that is when you deliver the proposal, it comes devoid of the context of the story of transformation that you want to deliver to them. Because ultimately, we're asking people to make a change in their bank account and how they spend their time and who they spend their time with. All of these things are, are big changes. And so I want to tell them the story when I do the proposal. It's not just a pricing table, it's where are you now? Where do you want to go? What would it be worth for you to get there? And how can I specifically help you do it? And then I reveal my pricing. Right. So it's packaged as a full story, which they told me, right? Because I asked the right questions. Yeah. I want, I'm just giving them the story back to them. I'm like, this is what you told me. Do you agree? Right. So that's what I recommend you do with your proposals. And you're going to find if you do it this way without changing anything else in your business, you're going to be able to raise your prices by at least
0: 20%. Great. Got it. Where I want to go next is over to referrals and getting business to come in the door because you said your services won't sell themselves. And a lot of CPAs rely on referrals. In fact, oftentimes I'll see some variation of, if you know somebody who's looking for a CPA, think of us, our business relies on referrals, which always makes me go, (gasps) because that signals the absence of a marketing engine that can generate reliable, predictable business. So how do CPAs think about getting out of simply solely referral-based and into a marketing engine that can then lead to a sufficient number of sales conversations where you feel like you're in the driver's seat? So my friend, Tom
1: Miller, has a book that he wrote about lead generation for expert firms. And basically he interviewed, I think it was like 53 different firm owners, and ask them, how do you get business? And his big finding, which I think has a lot of ramifications for your listeners, Geraldine, is that the types of marketing that work are really dependent on how the firm is positioned. So he had three different types. Generalists, which is 90% of everybody out there. The second one is what he called crafty horizontals, and the last one was called verticals. So vertical positioning being X, Y, right? I solve problem for industry. So in this case, maybe it would be, you know, I do tax compliance and bookkeeping for creative agencies. One of my clients does this. So that would be a vertically positioned firm. A Horizontal firm would be positioned around a problem, right? I do tax compliance. But who do you address? And how do you distribute your content to them? Um, And then generalist firms, their marketing is totally different. This is sort of the standard model, right, of all professional services, which is the old days of like BNI, local chamber events. We do accounting for anybody who's basically in our city. That's, That's really the way you are positioned, even though it feels like you have no positioning. Your positioning is really, we're local, which... I personally hate because I don't want to see anybody. I want to spend time with my family, right? I just want to do my work and not, not give up my personal life. Um, so it really depends on how you're positioned. Let's assume for a second, you're willing to entertain the horizontal or the vertical positioning. This is where it starts with what change do you want to see in the world and how do you want to address that? That sounds grandiose, but it can be really simple right? So do you, let me ask you, is there like a particular industry niche that one of your clients has occupied? Yeah, I could think of a couple. Just one as an example. Let's do creative firms. Okay. Creative firms. All right. Cool. So creative firms, near and dear to my heart. Yeah. The thing that most people get wrong about marketing is they think, okay, I'm going to go write an article about like how to do bookkeeping and In that article, I'll talk about like how to use Excel and how to connect it to QuickBooks online and all this sort of technical stuff that I do. Clients don't care about any of that, right? That's why they hire you. They don't want to have to learn all that. All they care about is how do I run a more profitable creative firm? How do I think about hiring new creative people when I'm on this project roller coaster, the ups and downs of my business? You know, how do I get tax advantages or which corporate structure should I choose, right? From a profitability standpoint, do I reach a certain threshold where I need to think about becoming a C-corp because it's advantageous to me from a profit perspective um, or maybe a liability perspective? That's what your clients care about. They don't care about what you do, right? So if you want to get started, one of the easiest things to do is just reach out to like three to five of your best clients and ask them, what are you struggling with? Like, When I deliver the numbers to you every month, what's the first thing you do? What do you do with them? How do you interpret this information? What decisions do you need to make? If you ask them that and just answer their questions and then send it to your clients and then send it to other people, that's going to be the best way to create marketing content. Now, of course, there's a bias in here because I went straight to content One of the key things is your company has to stand for something. You can't just be, you know, the best bookkeeper because the salesperson isn't the best bookkeeper. Now you're gonna have to develop a totally separate brand for them. Whereas if you separate out yourself from the business and you make decisions about what is this business, who is it for and what does it stand for? The best way to do that is through creating content which is a form of intellectual property and now other people can go tell your story. So that's what I recommend you do to get started with marketing.
0: Okay, I love that. I do wanna go over to the this idea of how do you begin to get sales off your plate? Because so many CPAs are way too busy and across the board, across my clients, I see them holding on to tasks and duties and roles that they need to let go of in order to free up time. A lot of them think that, as the owner of the company, they should be the one to handle sales. So what needs to change in their thinking and how do they begin to go about delegating the sales conversation?
1: So a couple things, right? Um, Number one is to stop thinking about sales as a monolith. It's not a single activity. It's a collection of lots of different things. And you just probably haven't taken the time to write down all the complicated bits that need to happen. So that's the first thing is just treating sales is like another project you do, right? My guess is if you're delivering monthly to clients, at least you should have written down somewhere, what is that delivery process? What are the 20, 30, 60, 80 steps that we need to go through every time? Sales should really be the same way, right? The second thing is you don't have to outsource everything at the same time. So I'm going through this process. I'm Um, right now, part-time as of this recording, head of growth at a creative agency called Goldfront. And one of the things we looked at initially was, what are all those different steps? And where does the owner need to be involved? And then really question that, right? Oh, he, he has to be here. And then we'd go, well, why, right? This relates to the third thing that I recommend you do immediately. Stop treating every lead you get the same way right? Uh, There's uh, (laughs) There has to be some discrimination, right? Some prioritization and triage of the way you treat people coming into your business. And I don't mean that like based on the way they look, obviously, right? It's just a matter of how close are they to your ideal client. I'll give you an example. If you get two leads and one is a $20 million company and the other one's a $200,000 company, Why in the world would you treat them the same way? You wouldn't. The same is true if you're looking to outsource, right? Think about as the owner, is there a threshold effect where you have to be involved because the deals are so valuable to you and your company? And then we just need some clarity around that. So maybe the threshold is, you know, deals that pay us $5,000 or more a month, which will be correlated to your client's revenue, because usually we wouldn't recommend In the CPA world, clients spend more than 1% to 2% of their revenue on their accountant. That's at least I know that to be the rule of thumb. Um, But whatever your rule of thumb is, you're going to be able to figure that out pretty quickly, obviously. So don't treat your clients the same. So first step is really just figuring out what are all of those different steps that need to happen? Do you as the owner need to do production on the proposal? No, right? You can get someone else to do that. So you may find a situation, and I have an article about this on my site, but you may find a situation where you go, okay, I'm not ready to leave yet because, and usually there's two reasons. (laughs) One is they don't feel confident in someone else or two, they just really like showing up and like being the one with all the answers. It's like validating for people to feel like I know what I'm doing and that's fine but you could create a sales system where you're only involved in the meetings and then everything else happens without you. But the only way to do that is to really get clear on what are all of the things that need to happen and then task people with making those happen without your presence. Ooh, I love that. That's the short of it. Of course, it, now, now just add a year or two years and, and you'll be there.
0: <laughs> so last question here. For people who are Going, okay, I need to get out of my own way when it comes to sales and marketing and make this a process so that I can delegate it. Where do they get started? Depends on where you are. So, the first
1: thing I would say generally, what I'll ask people is about how many leads you get coming in the door now. So, and the way the reason I ask that is I'm always wondering do you have a pipeline problem or do you have a sales problem? Right. So we need to figure those out. Mm-hmm. So a pipeline problem would be, we just don't get enough opportunities. And I think most people are in this camp where they're looking at it and they go, they brag, oh, I close hundred percent of the deals that come to me. And I was like, that's a problem, <laughs> right? You should be, you should be able to walk away from deals or you, you know, you should take risks with deals that you're not sure will close. So that's a problem. So if you're close, this is you, if you close 100% of the deals that come to you. But basically, let, let me just start with an, or I'll, I'll deliver this as an exercise. Whatever your revenue is now, figure out what your growth goal is. So if you're, just to use easy numbers, a million dollars and you want to grow 20%, $200,000 you have to add, right? How many clients is that? Two, five, three, ten, 10, whatever it is. And then you just ask yourself, do I have enough pipeline to support this level of growth? If no, I better start marketing. If yes, but I'm not closing enough deals, then I need to focus on my sales process. And of course, these two things are related because as you start marketing, what all of your clients are going to find, Geraldine, is when they get leads that don't come from referrals, they're going to be like, wow, these leads suck. They don't know anything about me. And it's like, well, yeah, no one referred them right? You're going to have to teach them about you. Now you have a a sort of different job and approach to this. So that's what I would say for most people is where you get started is really related to your growth goal and the type of output you want. And then ask yourself, are you getting enough leads? If not market, if yes, we're getting enough leads, but we just need to close more focus on sales.
0: Excellent. I love that simple decision tree for what is actually your problem. Liston Witherill, this has been such a treat. Thank you so much for coming on the Smart Strategy for CPA's podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Liston, for coming on the podcast. What stood out to me is the line, don't think of sales as a monolith. Just like anything else, sales and marketing can each be broken down into a series of discrete steps that can be improved, optimized, and delegated. If you want to know more about Liston, check out his website, servedontsell.com. For other episodes on sales, you can also check out episode 128 with James Ashford and 132 with Deb Angeletta. Now, the next time someone asks you if you can clean up their books, instead of delivering a knee jerk, of course, I'd love to, Instead, head on over to my website and subscribe to my daily list for a bite-sized drip of actionable advice that will change your accounting practice. You can find that at shethinksbigcoaching.com. All right, that's it from me. Have a great week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down a 40 Hour CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.